Welcome to the Hand in Hand podcast. We are making connections in our community through friendship and mentorship. We are joining hands to bring people together and learn how to better support those who come from hard places. The more we know about trauma and its impact, the more we can work towards stable homes and positive relationships. So let's get learning because together we are the solution. This is episode four, our interview with Michelle Batten. Michelle, welcome. It's so great to have you. It's nice to be here. Thank you so much for giving us the opportunity um, today to learn from you. Uh, Just a little bit of background. I became acquainted with Michelle's work during our time as foster parents. She is truly an asset in her field of work, and you'll get to hear about what that work is as we go throughout this podcast. But Michelle is a trauma-responsive parent coach who helps exhausted, so well-worded, very exhausted foster and adoptive parents define needs behind behaviors. Uh, As well, she helps explore creative parenting solutions, and she walks alongside parents to restore hope back to their homes. I actually know some are one of these adopted mothers who Michelle has helped and she has been such a gem for their families. Just such a fantastic coach and guide. Uh, A little bit more about Michelle. She's also the founder of Hopeful Connections Parenting and a trauma specialist at Idaho Federation of Families for Children's Mental Health. That's a mouthful. She grew up in a home with an adopted sister and numerous foster siblings and experienced that for some children, and this is really interesting to me, for some children, love, a good education, and a church community was not enough to heal the wounds of early years. The complex needs of early childhood drove Michelle to understand the impact of trauma and to become certified as a TBRI educator and ACPI certified parent coach with a specialized focus in trauma. She provides trauma-informed training to parents, schools, professionals, and she collaborates with caregivers to create solutions for difficult behaviors. So as you can tell, uh, Michelle is awesome. She's just a wonderful person with a wealth of wisdom. And our hope today is to learn what we can from Michelle to better equip our mentors with tools as we work with those who have experienced trauma. Michelle, to start out with, tell us maybe a little bit about growing up with your adopted sister and your foster siblings. I think it's interesting, the comment that you made in your bio, that for some of these children, love, support, and a good education just were not enough um, to heal all the wounds from their early years. What is it that keeps children from fully healing, even when all those important things are in place? So I grew up in a home with foster siblings, and some of those were one night, some of those were six years. This was in the 70s and 80s, so kids could stay in foster care for a long time. Um, But my sister came when she was 11 months and experienced neglect in those early months and lived the lie of neglect that is just, you're not worth it. And so 
that played out her entire life. And so both with her and with other people or other children, I saw that uh, the impact of neglect and abuse and early childhood trauma really hampered their ability to have relationships with individuals, with my parents and with um, God even. Particularly, you know, I think in the Christian community, we sometimes get the message that if we do the right thing, our children will come out okay. And we'll come out with a measured okay of what that means in the church. And for neurotypical kids, for kids without trauma, that's not the truth. So we can expect that for kids who experience early childhood trauma, that if we do the right thing, that the outcome isn't always predictable. There are good things to do, but early childhood trauma impacts the brain. And um, in those days, in the 70s and 80s, we didn't have the labels and understanding of what relationships did for children and the importance of those early childhood years for the, the impact of the rest of their lives. You know, quick, quick comment, Michelle, um, which that comment also validates how deeply seated these emotional experiences are for children that we you know, dismiss and think, you know, that they'll be okay, or they're resilient, or they'll get over it, but or they won't remember it. Yeah, they won't remember it. But I just read this quote this morning, I have to, and I want Mm -hmm. I want your thought on it. All emotions, even those that are suppressed and unexpressed have physical effects, unexpressed emotions, stay in the body like a small ticking time bomb. I mean, isn't that interesting? That really is what is happening to these children from from trauma, they have held things deeply within and they evidence themselves throughout their lives. What helps me for understanding the impact of trauma is that I can tie my faith into that and how um, it's relationships that heal us, right? Yeah. That that really is the gospel message. And I love that piece about it. And um, we can match our faith with the science that you just said. Though children can't remember, there was implicit memory for my sister that that neglect laid down in her body. And we see that outcomes with the ACE study, which is a study that tells us about how uh, trauma impacts the entire body for the lifespan. Um, Your mentors can look at that, right? They can look at the ACE study and find out for themselves, like how, where do I fit in with how much a measured amount of trauma, but right. the higher the score is on that ACE questionnaire, the higher the score is on that questionnaire, the poorer the outcome is right. for lifespan. And by outcome, I don't mean behavioral outcome. I actually even mean health outcome. Yeah. Like physical disabilities, um, heart disease. Uh, yeah. The whole gamut of health challenges yeah. can be um, compounded Yes. Or are compounded by that, yeah. Well, that, that mind-body-spirit connection yeah. is all yes. interrelated. Yes, yes. How did you see that manifested? Like in your sister, how did you see that in her behavior in your home? So in my teen years, she had a really extreme behavior, and we kept that quiet because though in a church community, it's not always appropriate to have big behaviors, extreme behaviors. I wouldn't even say big behaviors, extreme behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, and the families I work with have those same extreme behaviors. We have gained a lot of understanding on where those are coming from. And for me, that means looking at it and saying, what is the need behind the behavior? And yeah. that we can understand this not just for 
kids because I'm helping parents typically, but we also, when I'm, when I'm helping walk alongside the birth parents, I can go, this is probably generational and that that family has trauma and the impact on that mom's brain or that dad's brain is also big. And that's really important. Right. So you mentioned that there's a unique approach we have to take when helping individuals that come from these traumatized pasts. And I guess that's the whole key or the whole question that I have for you is, you know, is there a magic formula to help people that come from, you know, these traumatized pasts? How do we most effectively help people who are so affected by trauma to ever see life in its proper perspective? I know in some of my experiences I've had with people that have been in those situations, the ups and downs are frequent and they're really high and they're really low. And, and, you know, we take for granted the stability that we've had, we have in life. Life's hard for all of us, right? It's difficult for each one of us. And yet they even see life through a much more strained and dark lens you know, how do we break through that? What are some of your suggestions on most effectively working with individuals that come from those places? I really think that if your mentors are working on their own story, on their own history and past and being well aware of that and what the messages they're saying in themselves as they're with someone whose behavior is escalating and that the mentor's story isn't I'm failing at my job or this person is a failure, but instead they're just present with that person that we offer mm. so much. That piece of healing comes through uh, the relationship. And yeah. even as infants, when we look at infants, I love to go back to what infants need because that helps us know what uh, adults need. That's right? an and so we can look thought. at infants and say they're mirror they have neurons in their brain called mirror nons neurons and they reflect back to us emotions and so if we can be with someone and be present and reflect a safety and a safe emotion to that person those neurons will begin to fire that maybe didn't get a lot of practice in the past Mm -hmm. what's great is is the brain grows when we fire those neurons the brain can grow new connections yeah and that's where healing occurs. That's hopeful. It's so interesting because when you describe observing extreme behavior, your natural impulse is not to do that. Yeah. And yeah. But, so, so what you're saying is despite the behavior, just a feeling of acceptance, understanding of where they're coming from and, and things like that. Not that you wouldn't establish boundaries, but but a totally different a reaction and what we would naturally yeah it almost sounds too simple right yeah and yet it is so effective and it is the answer but it's interesting when i'm in the midst of a conversation with someone who's describing all the different things that they're going through my my knee-jerk reaction is fix it solve it Tell them yes. what they're doing wrong. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's it's kind of against the grain sometimes, just like you said, the acceptance, the relationship, the listening, the presence. And understanding that they're 
working out of a place of anxiety and a different place in their brain than a person who's had healthy relationships in probably a healthy one to three years. Yeah. Um, and so they're working out of the lower part of their brain where we find ourselves in in fight, flight, and freeze. So what we experience when we see a bear, our pupils dilated, sweaty, with the in, you know the reaction to run, all the things you can imagine with a bear. Some people live there all the time because they're yeah. living in that fight, flight, and freeze. And if you took their heart rate, it would be higher. If you looked at their yeah. eyes, they'd be dilated. That's so being aware of those those things and realizing that that's going on in someone else gives me compassion to say, I can be with you because yeah. this isn't you rejecting me. This isn't about your messing up. This is messy. So really what your advice would be to mentors is not to take it personally. Yes. And pay attention to their own stories, right? Like, isn't it true that with our own kids, when we're raising them, that uh, we might react out of what's in our head, like the disrespectful kid we have 10 years down the road, you know, mouthing off to their high school teacher. And it's because of us, right? At least yeah. those are the stories I told myself. Mm -hmm. And, and so those aren't truth, right? Like that has nothing to do with the present situation. There's a need behind the behavior. So gaining compassion for the other person helps me to be careful in my response. The other piece is, is when we look at children, the trauma age of children is about half of the chronological age. Mm. So when we're working with a 20 year old, a 25 year old, a 30 year old mom with several kids, she may be emotionally 15, wow. even though chronologically she's 30. If she hasn't had the opportunity to be in a healthy relationship and work on her junk. Wow. So, that, that brings some compassion for sure. Well, it, does, it changes it? the whole reaction you have mm -hmm. to it. Yeah, it does. It really does. It you know, does. Um, one of the topics actually today that we're going to focus on is is dealing with social connections um, to calm anxiety and you know trauma and dysfunction it, it introduces a lot of anxiety into people's lives and we want to understand how we can help others through these emotions so i i know you prepared some thoughts about anxiety and I, we'd love to hear some of your um some of the the tools and the teachings you share about this on this theme of anxiety and how to help those who who, who suffer sure. that. I love teaching about the brain and about relationships so that that gets me excited so some of the work I'm talking about today comes from Dr. Kurt Thompson and he is a psychiatrist with a deep understanding of social connection and he talks about how the essence of anxiety is about broken relationships and isolation. Mm. What I love thinking about is that uh, we're doing this interview during this pandemic time is that most people have experienced some level of anxiety. And so we can understand that this isolation, broken relationships really powers that anxiety. And so again, I like to gain compassion just by understanding how I experience these things and think, oh, how, how does this relate to the, to the other person? So I think that's really important to see how isolation and broken relationships play out. So one place, one way we can help people who are experiencing anxiety is the idea of tell me more. If we can say tell me more, it, it, it's entering into a relationship 
and you guys mentioned it, right? Not fixing it. Um, I think that was you, Chris, who said just, just being. And I like that idea. And just being in the relationship long-term is, is saying, tell me more. How does it feel to be anxious? Or tell me more what's going on. With kids, I might say, some kids might feel anxious when they don't get to go to school every day. What do you feel? So that they can you just enter into that relationship and say, tell me more. Hmm. And then another way we can help bring calm to anxiety is to communicate peace. Um, our tone, the way we look at people, the way we hold our body, eye contact, that has just powerful um, ability. You know, neurochemicals change when we make eye contact. And so that's hmm. really important you can see right now like how difficult that is because how little eye contact you can make I don't know if you've been in the grocery store with a mask but no one will look at you yeah <laughs> at least that's been my experience and it's it causes me anxiety just because <laughs> one can be <Yeah>. friendly <laughs> right and so that eye contact really does bring us peace and and we communicate a lot with our eyes so um tell me more eye contact and then also another important thing is just coming back around. So when we say to someone, um, you know, I was thinking about you, Chris, and what you said about that. How are you doing with that? That tells me I held you present in my mind. Mm -hmm. And so there's a connection there. So even in the time of um, not being together, you can say we're connected and we're together. And so we can acknowledge um, the other person and the problem ongoing and we can help calm them and check in on them. So I think those are some quick ways that we can help people calm when we're walking long-term in relationship with someone is remembering those cues and remembering those connection. And again, like you said, not just being present, not having to solve it all. I love that. You know, one thing you said resonates with me, The and we, we talk about this a lot at Hand in Hand Mentoring, that we set up these mentoring relationships, and we monitor for a year, but we really encourage people to make these people part of their life. I like and, that. And so that ongoing, and I would guess these people that are coming out of a lot of broken relationships that that's probably something that is helpful to them right yes right and understanding that um giving care receiving care voicing your needs those are three of the several factors that are really important in healthy relationships so that give and take in relationships some people might not know how to give or some people might not know how to take um but that that ongoing relationship and being a part of someone's life teaches those this pieces, doesn't it? And that's been such an interesting experience that we've actually lived as we've mentored people that at first you're right, it is all listening to them and mm -hmm. they vent a lot and they're upset and bothered. And you honestly sometimes don't even know how to help, but you are listening. But then you're right, as time goes on, that relationship, even though maybe it's not totally normal or whatever, they do learn, they receive social cues, they start to know you're there for them. And then they start to, you know, do more reciprocity in terms of hey, yes. what's going on in your life, you know, and so you see that development, that social development happen. 
And what's great is if you walk alongside me and teach me that in relationship, I can give that to my child in a new way. And what is amazing is that if we look at my grandmother's relationship with my mom, that will predict how I am with my children. You don't even have to look at how my mom was with me. That we're changing generations when we walk alongside someone and we're changing future generations. Because if you can change the mom or dad you're walking with right now and change the way they interact with their child, that child will interact with their children quite differently. That's interesting. Pretty amazing. That is. That's really profound. A word that comes to my mind while you're describing this is non-judgment. Mm. Not, not labeling the reason or the why or an explanation for someone's behavior because that's when I think we are prone to tell them how to fix it. It's the non-judgment. Um, and, and again, I touch back to that simplicity of eye contact, mm. listening, presence, and checking in. I mean, what's so exciting about that is everyone can do that. You do not need a master's or a PhD to mm -hmm. offer that kind of connection, mm -hmm. which like Chris said, you may not be giving them any resolution, but you're giving them something because they keep coming back. They keep answering the phone call or we'll meet up mm -hmm. for lunch. There's something that's being provided and fed through that relationship. And so uh, I think we discount the effectiveness of those very small and simple tools. Yeah, so it's great because it literally changes the structure of the brain. Like yeah. the brain connections change when we have those new interactions and novel experiences and you know, we're talking probably about people experiencing dinner table for the first time. And we're talking about people, um, really just people having relationship that are mm -hmm. consistent and long-term, right? And uh, that changes the structure of the brain, which is amazing. Like that we're made to always be changing. It's just amazing to me. Yeah, love that. Let me ask a question. Um, and this is just from, from my own personal curiosity what as as mentors we also talk about how you do have to have boundaries mm, how do you important. how do you mesh that acceptance and i'm here for you with certain boundaries that probably need to exist you know i think that when i start into a relationship that i know might be tricky when i'm coming along someone i have to remember will i be willing to put up with this in 6 months or in 12 months, right? Am I willing to take a 10 o'clock at night call in a year, mm. if it's every single night in a year? Am I willing to, whatever that willing to thing is, right? Whatever my boundary is for helping others, am I willing to do that and enter there? It might, some people are good at that, right? And, and whatever your mentor's guidelines are for that, I'm sure that's a piece of this, but I like to think, can I do this long-term and keep doing this? And I think that's where some um, parents, fostering parents, right, get, have trouble too, is like we're asking for, we get a sassy kid in our house and we, we think, oh, this will die down, but are we willing to have that in 12 months? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, without dealing with it and addressing it and coming alongside in a connected way to address it. So I think that's true of adults too, right? That 
can we do this in a healthy way? But that's part of teaching healthy relationships because if I'm entering a friendship, that dance is done too. The dance of boundaries is also done. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're mirroring a, yes. a normal healthy relationship for them. Yes. So, yes. Okay. I like, yeah. I like the point that for each individual, the boundary might be different because some, like you said, some people may be very, very okay with that openness and transparency and, yeah. and some people may, may feel like it needs to be kept at a, at a, a more of a distance. And so figuring out and asking yourself, what am I comfortable with long-term? I think that's super wise to consider. I like that a lot. Um, Michelle, some of the notes I've read that you've sent on anxiety, you had something interesting in here. I wondered if you would touch on that for just a minute. You said when helping people with anxiety to look around and engage current sensory experiences. And I was just curious, what are some examples of that? I mean, and you even said like to use the, both the emotional and logical side of our brains. And I just wondered to, if you could touch just a minute on what, what that meant. So when we can use the, both the right side of the brain and the left side of the brain, um, we force our brain to quit being from the back of our brain where that fight, flight, and freeze is. Move out of the anxiety place, the place where we ruminate. And instead, when we use the right and left brain together, we can calm our anxiety. So there's a lot of tricks to that. And one of those pieces that makes sense of this is that the one side of our brain is our logical brain and the other side of our brain is more emotional brain. So when we can um, integrate those things, um, that's really important. So when we're making good eye contact, but having conversation, we're using the verbal processing part of our brain while using the emotional connection of the, the eye contact, those types of things. Interesting. Um, also, there's simple activities. Like if you are going on a walk with someone, walking is using alternating sides of our body, right? And so that calms our body because of that, that right-left input to our brain. Um, a really simple one I like to teach kids and adults alike, and probably my own grown children can't stand me talking about it so much, is that um, your right hand is connected to your left brain, your left hand to your right brain. So if you alternate making a fist with your left hand, open it, right hand, open it, and keep go doing that, it will use both sides of your brain and calm your brain. Hmm. Um, I used to have my daughter do that during medical procedures. She had a lot of dental work and it was always really interesting because I could judge how much pain she was in because it would get really sporadic because she couldn't, she couldn't stay out of the back of her brain, out of that pain part of that reaction part yeah. because she couldn't coordinate her moves. So, so I would do it for her. So I'd squeeze her hand right, left, right, wow. left, just to give that input to calm down. You know, it's interesting um, I became a little familiar with anxiety through a friendship recently. And, you know, they, there's real challenges that they mm -hmm. have. I, I read this quote, it said, living with anxiety is like being followed by a voice. It knows mm -hmm. all your insecurities and uses them against you. It gets to the point when it's the loudest voice in the room, the only one you can hear. And, you know, it's interesting how you talk about really 
when we're talking about addressing anxiety, we're trying to share tools to calm the brain, mm -hmm. calm mm -hmm. those voices, whether like you said, it's this, you know, teaching the brain with these right and left or walking, getting oxygen in our lungs. You know, I even read about singing, just the mm -hmm. act of Because that takes your breath, right? Yeah. And of course, um, prayer and that can that communication with God and, mm -hmm. and, and then obviously to going along with what we're doing as mentors, it's those relationships yeah. that bring that calming. Go so ahead. it's Did interesting just to think about how relationship impacts someone's life long-term, even that relationship, that one to three-year-old relationship, um, unless someone works on um, their stuff that that their life is navigated by what they understand from relationships in those early years and so That's gaining so compassion being present and that idea of non-judgmental is so important so true michelle thank you for sharing your expertise on this it really helps us um most of us don't have social work degrees and, and don't have, know the, all that physiology that you've talked about in the brain. And, and it really makes sense and it really is helpful as we think about how, how we can help the people that we, we mentor. And it's really helpful for ourselves as individuals. You know, it, it's helpful for all of us. So it's so great to have you share that with us. I'm glad to be here. You guys are doing amazing things. Well, you know, it, it's an interesting thing because because we're not going to help everyone, but we believe that some individuals that we work with will have that desire to find help and solutions they need to yes. heal and lead a better life. And it's just so important that as mentors, we promote healing through our interactions. And the things you shared today have definitely given us more knowledge to be effective in those relationships. So... We want to thank you so much for your time and we are doing another podcast with you next week and we'll be addressing more from the position of the mentees. So we are excited that we will be able to continue to learn more from you. Good. Yeah, I that. Thank you. Michelle. Thank you so yeah. much, Michelle. Thanks for letting me be here. We so appreciate you coming. We'll see ya. We hope you have enjoyed our podcast today and have learned something that will benefit your life. Our organization is called Hand in Hand Family Mentorship, and our goal is to bring hope through friendship and mentoring. We match supportive and encouraging individuals with families that are in need of an added support system. These referrals come to us from the Department of Health and Welfare family advocates, and Boise Rescue Mission Ministries. These are individuals who come from hard places, who are trying to keep their children out of foster care or regain custody. They're trying to get their lives back on track, trying to overcome trauma and lead productive lives. We believe that the power of a positive, healthy connection is the first step in healing please visit us at www.handinhandmentoring.org and be a part of the solution.